Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Here we are with some sad news this week. We always said we were going to do a show about David Bowie, the UFOs, and the occult, and his, his connection to all that stuff. And we always said it was going to be in the future, and we decided to do one now that he has passed on. So I'm here with Wendy. Hello, everyone. And Allison. Hi, everybody. So that's, I mean, that, what a, I mean, I guess what a way to start out. Like, hey. Yeah, that was a bomb that hit last week. That was a, that was a tough one. It was. Yeah. Quite a surprise. Well, I mean, it's a bad time to be a 69-year-old British guy. Right. Definitely. Yeah, Alan Rickman. All of these icons from our, our lifetime are, are passing on, and it's just, it's a lot to take in in a short amount of time. It is. And, and you know, and I think that's just part of, I mean, getting old, and, and things are going to also be like that in, in a social media age. Right. You know? Constant reminders of our mortality. <laughs> right. You're going to see everybody talking about it, and they're going to talk to each other about it. So while in the past, you know, maybe a radio station would talk about that, or if somebody died, then the radio station may play, you know, a David Bowie song every hour. Or in the case of Milwaukee radio stations, when Stevie Ray Vaughan died, they actually started playing Stevie Ray Vaughan songs. Wow. Like they never would play it before, but then it's like, oh, he died in Alpine Valley. Well, that's only 20 minutes away. We better start playing his music. And then they did. Well, which was great for the listeners, but either way, David Bowie, 69 years old, passes away from cancer on January 10th, so last Sunday, so a week ago from the day we are recording this particular episode. And so we wanted to do a tribute to the man and all of his awesome work and his connection to weird stuff because, holy cow, (laughs) does he have a lot of weird stuff in his life. Yes, that he does. So, you know, speaking of social media... Now, Wendy, most of our friends are musicians when it comes to Facebook and things like right. that. Yep. So, I mean, so a lot of our uh, feeds were full of fellow musicians talking about it. Allison, most of your friends are, are like ghost people and stuff, yeah. right? And so w- w- did you have just as many tributes in your feed as we did, maybe? You know, surprisingly, I, I did. A lot of people who I associate with have, you know, some... Some connection to the occult, as it turns out. <laughs> Strange. <laughs> so I think I think that's the angle that they were coming from. But yeah, definitely a, a lot of uh, heartfelt wishes going out uh, over so, uh, social media. No, I thought I thought that was interesting. Just the it really was an outpouring. I would say more than I've seen in the past. When I agree. Do, yeah. Even with uh, the recent passing of Lemmy from Motorhead, as we talked about last week. When that happened, my feed was, was chock full of comments and right. condolences and things like that. Memories as well. But that even paled in comparison to the, the Bowie uh, sentiments that were shared. Yeah. Right. I, just to think of the um, impact the man had over, you know, four, over four decades of recording music. I mean. Yeah. Prolific creator, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, just a little off topic here. Speaking of social media. If you guys happen to enjoy the podcast, don't be afraid to go over to iTunes and write a little review or something like that. We, we appreciate that. And oh, yeah. Yeah. You could be the first reviewer of 2016. Right. So there's been a lot of sad news online in 2016. Let's bring a little bit of happiness there. And if you enjoy the show, just let us know on iTunes and leave a little review. Five-star reviews will sometimes get a little song of the review. So we can write a little melody and sing your review right here on the show. Uh, iTunes, see you on the other side. That's a good way to show your appreciation too. You know, do it now before before it's too late. <laughs> we do we do appreciate it. That's a, that's a good way to. That's the thing, Allison. I mean, you don't know something I don't know, right? No. Well, but yeah. <laughs> well, I know you were feeling a little bit under the weather, Mike. I was recently. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was weird. Weird, like twenty-four hour flu. I was. I mean, just just sick. Just like I couldn't move and stuff like that. So immobilized. I think I was poisoned. 
Ah, so, like Harry Houdini. Yes. Yeah. No, I I'm, I feel great. I feel great today. You have just, enemies, Mike, don't you? I, I do have enemies, <laughs> and I believe someone poisoned me, and it just wasn't strong enough to take me out. <laughs> so I'm back, though. So my, the rumors of my demise are, are greatly exaggerated. Good thing you've been working up your resistance to an assortment of poisons. <laughs> I have been, slowly. <laughs> Slow, well, right. I think with the... The amount of partying I've done in my life, the uh, the the poisons that I've been working on resisting, I mean, very steadily for the past 20 years. And, okay, well, you know, speaking of age and passing on and stuff like that, we are, you know, dedicating this episode to really a hero of UFOs and musicians and actors and everything. I mean, just his IMDb list had 46 credits. Wow. 456 soundtrack credits. 46 just acting credits. And, and so, I mean, the man was just, he had a, his fingers in every kind of pie, especially if it was weird pie. And so, I mean, when you think about it. Our like, favorite kind of pie. Our That's fa- right. Yeah. It's weird like, berry. I'll, I'll have a, a little extra weird, please. And so what was your, Wendy, what was your first memory of David Bowie? You know, I was trying to remember what my very first memory was. And honestly, I can't recall. I'm I'm assuming it would have been something on MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, Labyrinth, the movie, is what got him set in my sights for <laughs> sure. <laughs> for sure. So I was pretty young when that movie came out, and and it remained an obsession of mine. It still does. So <laughs> no, it's a- the the Goblin King. Yeah, I got yeah. a place in. in my heart. <laughs> I, I got to chime in because you know that that's similar to you know my first memory um i think i had already known of him because um the let's dance album came came out in uh 83 mm-hmm. and then labyrinth was 86 so i know he was on the radar because of you know the popularity of that that album and i remember being angered by the, the song the song uh, china girl <laughs> and uh just, just feeling like you know kind of wanted to punch him in the face Okay, wait, wait, hold on a second now. <laughs> well, I want to no. punch a lot of people in the face. No, so. I, you know, <laughs> wow, let's, Allison, let's, let's contain, dance it, contain the rage. Let's Dance is my first memory of David Bowie, too. And I remember Modern Love, obviously. I remember Let's oh, Dance. Yeah. I mean, Modern speaking Love. of Steve Ray Vaughan, right? Steve Ray Vaughan is the guitar player on Let's Dance. Oh. I mean, Nile Rodgers from Chic produced it. And now, I mean, Nile Rodgers is popular again because of Get Lucky. He's the guy playing guitar in Get Lucky. And, uh, but he produced That's Let's right. Dance and David Bowie heard Stevie Ray Vaughan play and said, I want you to record this album with me. And so Stevie Ray is the, I mean, and Let's Dance, I, I love it. But I remember China Girl because it was a video that was banned by MTV. They couldn't oh, show it. Controversy. Right. And China Girl is originally a song that David Bowie wrote for Iggy Pop. And they like, it showed like a girl's butt in the video or something like that. So it was too oh, racy for MTV at I, the time. But I we thought were, they banned it because they, they were afraid Allison was going to go and start punching people. Well, I was going <laughs> to oh, ask right. her. Oh, that's right. to hold me back. Because Allison, the first time I remember seeing that video is we were staying at a hotel because we didn't have cable. Our parents would never pay for cable. But we were staying at a hotel and they had cable and they were showing the videos that were too dirty for MTV. <laughs> and we watched, we watched the video for China Girl. Of course he did. That's right. Because and then like, that part where he says, you know, just shut your mouth. That's the part when I wanted to shut his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, well, that's you know, great. Equal rights, all that. So, no, so your first get, memory of David Bowie is actually being offended by I, I get inflamed. My ire, ire kicks up at, at times. <laughs> well, that's and I great. very rarely actually punch people. I just, you know. Beware, she she looks sweet and cuddly, but you know right. what? <laughs> she ain't. <laughs> that punch but, could come out of nowhere. You never know. Right, yeah, but uh, that oh, punch could have came off of the thin white duke at any white time. You'd have broke him in half. Oh, That's what? right. Hello, Allison. Jo- oh, wait. <laughs> bloody hell! Oh, that's right. Uh, but, but then he turned it around in Labyrinth. I mean, yeah, because what little girl didn't have a crush on the Goblin King? Yeah. Quite the sexy Goblin King. Oh my gosh. And that's a kid's movie. And still you're right. swooning. You're like, oh yeah. I mean, because yeah. it's, um, you know, and, and that's appropriate to, um, 
you know, the folklore because he's a fairy and, you know, draws you in with that fairy glamour. Yeah, even though he's the bad guy, you still, you can't help but be enamored with him. Yeah, he's that, <laughs> that quintessential bad boy. He is. A little is, bit paranormal twist. So he had my number. But he is the bad boy, though, that, and, it, and it's funny because while he's an object of fantasy for Jennifer Connelly's character, I mean, she is an object of fantasy for him because he right. loves her, you know, like out right. of nowhere. It's like he's trying to he trap just, her. He, well, he knew how hot she was going to be in her later movies. And he's just like, <laughs> look, I'm going to get him like Mulholland Falls. <laughs> it's like, baby, you're a boggling goblin. And no, he just loves it. So um, Labyrinth is very interesting in that way. Allison, do we see that one together? Remember, oh, did you see that a bunch of cinemas with dad? And remember, like, I remember dad being like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, he's got to imagine your dad. He's, he's, like, he's got low tolerance for the Muppets. He, like, what got, did I get Yeah, this is a Muppet movie. What's all the gender bending? He's got a low tolerance for, you know, androgyny. Right. right. Not Mike, so much was... me, though. <laughs> I, I, I loved, uh, you know, I loved uh, him in the, as the Goblin King, and I loved other androgynous figures like Prince, of course, and... Uh, yeah, that was really a thing in the eighties. Well, a thing, a thing in the eighties. China Girl and the Let's the Let's Dance album. I remember hearing those songs because Allison would be listening to them, and or listening to getting Pop angered. Radio. And well, no, even our <laughs> even our mother would our mother would listen to Top Forty Radio all the time because that's where the contests were happening. Yeah, and she, she was, was a radio driven con- to win. Right, and she right. was a radio contest, so she would know. Okay, she would try to figure out. Okay, they'd say like, okay, when when Let's Dance by David Bowie comes on, be the 44th caller and you can win. You know, and so she'd be like, does this sound like David Bowie to you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like six. I'm like, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, mom. Yeah. But, I'm know, like, that that's was, David that, Bowie. Punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be a way you'd have to figure out the songs were because mom would ask who it was because then she wouldn't make the phone calls to try to win. I'm an angry, oh angry young woman. <laughs> Yeah. And then, my, and then my sister just getting ready to punch him in the face. <laughs> just put her boxing gloves on. That's right. Don't tell me to shut my mouth. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, we're talking about David Boy's music and our first memories of him. But when you talk about his songs, you know, so Allison, probably at the time when you're 14 years old, you don't realize that David Bowie took on these personas. And characters, and he, yeah. that was what he was creating the art. Right. Like, I don't think David Bowie ever told Amon, shut your mouth. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he <laughs> I don't like know. That. I think Amon would, uh, would fight right. back. I think, yeah. I think Amon <laughs> had a couple inches on him. Actually. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I mean, he took on these personas and he had all these different eras and favorite David Bowie music. What do you think is your, your guys' favorite David Bowie song? Well, um, I would say it, it's kind of a, a later song and it's one uh, that he did in 1990 with Adrian Ballou. Um Adrian Ballou was uh, his guitarist on that tour. Was and... it is that on the Tin Machine? Was it with the Tin Machine band or uh, was it before that? Yeah, I don't know. It was 1990. I, okay. I, you know, I, I know Adrian Ballou better than, than Bowie. Sure. Adrian Ballou is his guitar player for a right. bunch of records. And, and he, he's, you know, Adrian Ballou, um, He's he's been with the Talking Heads and uh, King Crimson, so yeah, he um, was touring with Bowie and working on an album. In the album, uh, there's two songs where uh, Bowie uh, lends his vocals, uh, his lead vocals, and there's one song uh, called "Gunman," which they wrote together, and that would be the one that I would say is probably my my favorite Bowie song because um, it's a uh, very political and very anti-gun, actually. Okay. Yeah, okay, I, I stand corrected. Reeves Gabrels was the guitar player in Tin Machine, not Adrian Ballou. And I should have known that because Reeve, Reeves Gabrels played a Steinberger, which is a, a guitar without a, uh, a head, in the band Tin Machine. And that's the whole reason that I bought a Steinberger guitar and played a, a, nice. a guitar without a head is because I saw David Boy's guitar player in that band Those play things are cool too. on Saturday Night Live when I was like 14 years old. And I thought it was the coolest thing in it history. It is cool. When, what's your favorite, David uh, I couldn't pick a favorite one. So I'm just going to say, I know this is kind of cheating, but the Ziggy okay. Stardust album. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to credit that one to one of my best friends, Erica 
the lovely oh. hostess of Verity podcast, the Doctor Who podcast. Mm-hmm. She was my roommate in college and she listened to that a lot. And therefore we listened to that a lot. And sure. that was the first time that I really heard the whole album, you know, start to finish as opposed to just a couple cuts separately. And I just, I love all the songs and I love how they all fit together into that story arc. I think it's so cool. And they're just very sonically pleasing. <laughs> okay. So that's my pick. I, I like the Labyrinth songs too. They're fun. And I, you know, I'll sing along with all of them, but. Like Dance Magic Dance. Come on. That, yeah. That's just, a great you know, song. For the nostalgia effect, but it's, it's, uh, you know, yeah, they're kind <laughs> of silly. It was a kid's so. movie. Come on. <laughs> right, exactly. But I love Labyrinth. He was trying to kid it up. Mike. And it's great. You remind me of the babe. <laughs> the babe with the power. Someone, someone say what, babe? <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm just gonna say Ziggy Stardust the whole thing. That is a fine choice, and and thanks. My choice is, uh, well, Suffragette City. Ah, excellent. And I think that's because that's the first David Bowie song I learned how to play. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Right. Yeah. And so that Here comes I, a bunch. Here comes that knuckle sandwich. <laughs> no, no, I mean, uh, but but you're right. I mean, he took on a, a lot of personas. But the thing about Suffragette City is that it is just, it's the perfect, to me, it's the perfect glam rock song. Like, I think really his best written song is Life on Mars, because that is just, you know, three minutes, of, you know, three to four minutes of perfect, like, the hook is undeniable. I mean, there, and there's a whole, like, there's like 20 hooks that you want to sing along to, little pieces of ear candy just snuck into different parts of that song. Nom, 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 nom. And, right. And I, I just, I love the way that he does it. But it's not a rocker. And as a rocker guy, uh, Suffragette City was the, you know, I, I, I bought a guitar. It does mag- rock. I bought a guitar magazine the day I bought a bass guitar. And 18 and Life by Skid Row was in there. Yes. Suffragette City was in there. Uh, Truckin' by The Grateful Dead was in there. But even back then, I knew that The Grateful Dead just played on way too long. And I <laughs> wasn't interested in learning their music. But I just... You know, you listen to it over and over and you just learn how to play the song. And that just became my favorite because it was such a great rocker. And I didn't even know, you know, you're 13 years old. You're like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, that's right. That's a cute little rhyme. Yeah, it's yeah. helpful, you know. And then you realize like, oh, no, Ziggy's just using these. But then you realize there's a, when you find out there's an entire story. Right, to Ziggy context Stardust. is everything. <laughs> right, that it's not, is much greater than just the sum of the parts. And also, I love the "I'm Afraid of America." Oh, that was my that was my other pick too. Him and Trent Reznor together, yeah. come on! Like it's just such a rocker. I remember in college, just like I downloaded that video oh, and watched it a hundred times. Yeah, so that is an excellent choice. So uh, just great music. The, the fact that we can argue about it, like what's your favorite persona? You know, what was your favorite David Bowie character? And the fact that he did these things throughout his life and he created all these albums and it all came from that weird little Englishman's mind is just fantastic. Right. Yeah. Quite, quite a, a, a power for the creative and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like a Goblin King because, you know, creating all these different uh, phantoms that, that populate, you know, our imaginations. Right. That's right. Don't forget about the oubliette. Oh, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's right. So... We named our um, first EP as a band, Oubliette. And Oubliette is, well, Wendy, why don't you explain it from the Labyrinth perspective? From the Labyrinth perspective, basically it's a place like a, a hole in the ground or a place where you can trap someone for them to be forgotten about. So they trap the characters in an Oubliette. And that's, that's where I learned the, <laughs> first heard the word. And it seemed very cool. Right. And, uh, and so we thought the place of forgetting would be a sweet name for, it was the nineties. So it was, it was cool to be, you know, yep. like downers <laughs> and, and, and Oubliette and, was the name of that because it was like, this is our first EP. Welcome to the place of forgetting. So deep. And, and we have almost and forgotten dark. about that one. Yeah. We have forgotten about it. Yeah. It's no. cassette. So you can't really listen to it. Right. No, but that, I, I forget about that. That the only way to hear it is. If you got your cassette deck out, you can rock out to it. Next, next release will come out in eight track. There we go. So you can only you can only listen to it in your, like your seventy eight Camaro. That's right. Yes, you you can only listen to it in your time machine. 
So you could say that Bowie had a, you know, had an influence on even Sunspot, our band's, you know, first output. Definitely. Awesome. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that too. And even just the themes, because he's the kind of guy, and, and we're going we're gonna to get to some of his themes right now and talk about um, his music, but we, like, he just writes songs that most of the time you don't even know what they're about. That's true, yeah. I, you know, I, I would say you're like, okay, I'm not quite sure that I get everything. But, but it's I, so catchy, I can't help but sing along, even though I don't get it. Yes. It's catchy, I like the imagery, I feel, you know, but it's not like, is this about love? I mean, modern love, obviously. Okay, that's in the title. But like, you know, yeah. Ziggy, Ziggy played guitar. Like, what is even, what, who is he talking? Like, wh- what's the message he's trying to get across? Yeah, like my song, that my pick, um, Gunman, was, you know, very anti-violence and, uh, you know, surprising the political message in that song about how we revere uh, that figure of the gunman. Uh, so that that one was pretty clear, but you know a lot of David Bowie's stuff is very esoteric. Well, he's even admitted that a lot of it is word games that he he had played, or um, his lyrics were influenced by you know sometimes jokes that only he would know about. But there's sometimes where his message is very clear, and it starts off on his album Hunky Dory, recorded in 1971, and it's very clear. That David Bowie has been paying attention to our man, Alistair Crowley. Hey, yeah. Yay. It's holy moly. It's Alistair our Crowley. <laughs> that's, that's right, right. Uncle holy Al. Moly, holy moly, Alistair Crowley. That's right. We, we've brought him up on this podcast, I'd probably, I, at least a dozen times so far. Like, he is a recurring figure in any kind of 20th century occultism. And we love you, Uncle Al. Um, <laughs> He does deserve his own episode someday. Yeah. Because, yes. you know, he's another enigma that I'm not quite sure where I stand on him. Well, I mean, whether you like a person or don't like a person, they are. <laughs> and so you might like some of their work and might not like That's others. Right. So, like, even on Hunky Dory, which also has Life on Mars, which also has Andy Warhol, um, which has Changes, which is um, one of his biggest hits. That's a good one, too. Change? Right. Everybody loves Changes. Yes. So that album, right from 1971, the song Quicksand, I'm closer to the golden dawn, immersed in Crowley's uniform of imagery. I'm living in a silent film. <laughs> and half the time he's talking about Greta Garbo, and he talks about Winston Churchill's lies, and you're reading, you're like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> but I'm immersed in Crowley's uniform. There you go. And the golden dawn, which was, that's the organization, and and the magic uh, that these guys were doing. And so he starts using that kind of imagery uh, right away in his career. I mean, his first single, Space Oddity, we, we all know this is ground control to Major Tom. Another like, classic. Ev- right, everybody loves Space Odyssey. But That's such so a story. That song is released right before the moonshot in 1969. Sweet. So his, his record label wasn't stupid. They're like, hey, this guy wrote a space song and we're about to go to the moon. Let's, you know, let's capitalize on this. And it becomes like a popular song, the week of the moonshot. Yeah, that informal anthem right. of that mission. Right. So that's David Bowie right away. Like, how did he get his mitts at 22 years old into the public consciousness? is just capitalizing on the popularity of the moonshot with a rock and roll song. And with that, with that not being a stupid rock and roll song either. You know what I mean? Like it could have been like, good yeah. One. It's high quality. We're going to the moon. You know? <laughs> going to the moon, yeah. Like imagine <laughs> the kind of stuff they could have done in the 60s and people would have sold oh it like, gosh. the kids are going to love it. They're right. going to love this song. It's called Going to the Moon. Shooby yeah. doo going to the moon. Right, and people would be like, Man, this is really groovy. I can feel it, man. Like, really like it. It could have been something like that, but instead it's this tale of a guy who goes out into space and never comes back. And it's beautiful. <laughs> and it's like, tell my wife I love oh, her very I know. much. Poignant. She knows. Like, it's just beautiful. He, he, had a, uh, he had a power to raise some pretty powerful emotions. Right. And so thank God we had David Bowie when we went to the moon. Because it could have been something like, la, la, going to the moon. Like, it could have been really dumb. <laughs> and he saved us from that. That he did. 
So then he's working on his persona and he creates this and he's without a record label for a little while when he's doing Hunky Dory and, and he can't replicate the success of Space Oddity, even in the UK. And so, you know, what's he going to do? He's still a young man. He's, you know, he's getting his band together, constantly writing. You know, he's putting on an album like every year. And he comes upon this character of Ziggy Stardust and Ziggy's band, the Spiders from Mars. Yes. And it's just, like, it, it takes, it just takes everything to the, to the next level. Where, when you think about artists today playing a character, you know, think about Marilyn Manson. I mean, I guess artists today. <laughs> Marilyn Manson. Thinking about artists 20 years ago playing a character. But you think about people today, like, filling roles as to what we want to buy stuff. Like Macklemore fills a role as a socially conscious white rapper that a record label can market him as. Taylor Swift fills a role as a independent, intelligent, you know, young creative woman that can sell things. Adele, you right. know, fills everybody fills a role. Well, like David Boy created this role about an alien for himself like he's like you know what i'm gonna be this man from the stars that comes down to earth who, who thinks of himself as a messiah that can be the vessel for aliens making first contact with humanity and i'm gonna make a totally rocking album about it and it's not even gonna seem ridiculous and i'm gonna i'm gonna like paint my face have crazy hair you and know, a sweet spandex costume. Spandex costume, <laughs> like man, woman, who knows, bisexuality, the entire thing. He's like, I'm going to move the counterculture yeah. from the hippies to aliens. And he somehow succeeded. And he succeeded. Wildly. And, and it's awesome. <laughs> yes. Nailed and, it. Right. And he nails it. And it's something he'd been working on for a while. Mick Ronson. Uh, his guitar player at the time, the guitar player from the Spiders from Mars, said, he even admits, he's like, well, David became convinced that he was being stalked by men from Mars in 1969 or 1970. Awesome. So he's, I mean, he's into it. He's planning this thing. He's fully he's doing, <laughs> he's doing interviews as Ziggy Stardust, and he interrupts interviews to go to the window and look for flying saucers. I love that. To make you sure know? they haven't triangulated on his position. <laughs> right. So brilliant. And... The entire album is about, you know, him becoming the vessel and breaking down and dying on stage and his physical body becomes what gets recreated as the aliens. And Anne Rice uses this same kind of conceit like 15 years later in the Vampire Lestat, the second of the, the Anne Rice books about a vampire rock star. And we'll, we'll talk about Anne Rice at some time later, but like he develops this conceit of creating a rock star messiah that other people will use for a long time later on. And it's his first real persona, and it's crazy awesome, I think. Yeah, and to think about that he believed that it was in some way reality. Perhaps um, it's something like the, the tulpa, where he, he had put so much of his Ex energy Explain what, explain what a tulpa is for the Yeah, kids. a tulpa is a, a thought form. So uh, the idea is that you can create something out of nothing, just your thoughts. You know, you can create a, a creature or uh, a defender or a pal, uh, anything you want, any kind of personage uh, you want. You can create this character by imbuing it um, with just your energy. Your and, mental energy. Yes. And, um, you know, perhaps what was going on with David Bowie is, you know, he's a creative genius. I mean, no one would deny that. And, you know, that, that, when he's looking out the window for the UFOs, you know, maybe he's really seeing something there. You know, maybe he, he has experienced something, but maybe that's um, a phantasm that's created by his own mind. And, you know, the interesting part of Tall Fuzz is that other people are supposed to be able to see them as well. So, you know, the, this, this idea that you have this mental field around you and you can populate it with, with different creatures and then uh, other people can experience them as well. So maybe it wasn't just imagining. Maybe it had bridged the gap. You know, it had broken through to the other side. And, and um, man, start start 
you know, it has started manifesting in, in the real world as well. Well, that, I mean, first of all, Tibetan thought forms are the coolest thing ever. And you know, the <laughs> idea that you can believe in something so much and make it true. I mean, didn't Oprah, hasn't Oprah made a billion dollar career out of that? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So and there's definitely she, something She's made to it. something real out of that. Yeah. That's right. You know, and we talk about that. And, and so it's funny you, you talk about him seeing things, him getting so far into something that things came true. Well, Ziggy Stardust provides David Bowie with massive, massive success. And it's the 1970s. And the 1970s means it's Miller time. So he, <laughs> he goes crazy. <laughs> he parties way too hard. And then after he, kills the rock off, star. after he kills off the Ziggy persona, he starts working on his album, Station to Station. And I mean, Station to Station is a cool record. Golden Years is off it. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a song you probably heard. Uh, that's the first single off Station to Station was Golden Years. It was right after Young Americans, another song you might be familiar with. And it's when he was moving away from straight up rock to moving to more what was called Blue-Eyed Soul, where he was aping traditionally black music, singing soul, you know, trying to bring a English perspective to soul music. And not just an English perspective, a weird occult perspective. And that's really what he does on Station to Station. He describes it as a wash with religious subversion and, quote, the nearest album to a magic treatise that I've written. Whoa. Yeah, so kind of his, his own personal grimoire. Exactly. And magic and with he's a K. Ma- yeah, magic with a K, Aleister Crowley style. And right. he's also creating a new persona. Ziggy Stardust is dead. He creates the Thin White Duke. And... The thin white duke is not a particularly nice persona. Like it's not meant to be some kind of wish fulfillment of who he wants to be. The thin white duke is a character of how he writes the album. And it's an ultra Aryan fascist. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a likable character. Allison, get, right. no, get no, my no. knuckle sandwich ready. ready. This, Wait, right. He's, double I mean, fist. The Thin White Duke is almost a villain. Uh-huh. And, you know, on this, I mean, Station to Station, Red Hot Chili Peppers talk about it in their song, you know, Californication. They say, uh, Cobain, can you hear the spheres singing songs off Station to Station? So Station to Station and the Thin White Duke, let's go over some of the lyrics of it because this is where he gets, he gets right into it. Here are we, one magical movement from Kether to Malkuth One. There are you. You drive like a demon from station to station. Okay. Kether to Malkuth One. What is that? Yeah, what does David, that mean? what's up, man? <laughs> and so on one of the Kabbalah message boards, I found somebody asking this question, and it gets answered. It describes the Duke's travel down the Kabbalistic tree of life from Godhead to Earth. These are occult key doors to other planes of reality. So to travel from Kether to Malkuth in one magical movement is traveling between Kether, the crown, and Malkuth, the kingdom. And that's in Hebrew. And so... There's even pictures of the Thin White Duke drawing the Kabbalistic Tree of Life on the floor. And it's all part of this Kabbalistic, and Madonna was into the Kabbalah. Um, yeah. Uh, Demi Moore was into the Kabbalah, too. I think it was kind of a fad for a while. It is. You know, it's like Jewish mysticism is the Kabbalah. And right. so it takes all these things from these Hebrew myths that are thousands of years old, and then I've come up over time, like any religion will have all these like side myths and, you know, side stories and things. And the Kabbalah is the Hebrew one. And so David Bowie was just really into it when he was working on Station to Station. And he also was doing massive amounts of cocaine. And they were doing that to keep up all night and work in the studio. And like the, the guitar player would talk about it and be like, well, you know, you just... You were fueled by inspiration and you never wanted to go to sleep because you wanted to finish all of the guitar lines and you would just stay up all night long and, and work on them. And it was during this era 
Well, he moved to Los Angeles when he was working at Cherokee Studios on, on Station to Station. And he gets really into the occult, really into the Kabbalah. He buys a house in Los Angeles. Here's his wife talking about it. There's a beautiful Art Deco house on six acres, an exquisite site property, and a terrific value of just $300,000. $300,000 in the 1970s. Terrific value. Um, let's just say today, you know, it's 10 times, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he right. took at one, one look at a detail I hadn't noticed. A hexagram painted on the floor of a circular room by the previous owner, Gypsy Rose Lee. Mm. So who the play ah. Gypsy is, or the musical Gypsy is about, that's the place they got. Built in the late 50s or early 60s, it was a white cube surrounded by an indoor swimming pool. He loved the place. He thought it was too small to meet our needs for very long, and she wasn't crazy about the pool, because indoor pools are always a problem. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this, she talks about this in her book. She's like, always uh, a, problem. a problem. What a drag. I hate yeah. him. There was one exception, albeit not in any of the usual ways. Its drawback was one I hadn't encountered before and haven't seen or heard of since. Satan lived there. What? With his his own eyes, David said he'd seen him rising up out of the water one night. Whoa. Okay, Okay, that is a problem with the pool. (laughs) The pool is a portal to hell. (laughs) Right. So, you know know how indoor... That would be a deal breaker. Well, you know, I bet the water was warm, though. You know, if we're listing pros and cons. (laughs) It's a hot tub. (laughs) It's too hot in a hot tub. Oh, the devil. So feeling demonic forces moving in, David felt strongly that he needed an exorcism. And he had a, a friend that was a white witch, Wally Elmlark. And she came uh, to remove evil from the surroundings. And so a Greek Orthodox church in L.A. would have done it for us. But David wouldn't have it. No strangers allowed, he said. So there we stood with just Wally's instructions and a few hundred dollars worth of books, talismans, and assorted items from Hollywood's comprehensive selection of fine occult emporia. <laughs> So he did this incantation. He does this entire wow. ritual at a certain. So he's, he's, he's totally like bought into this. I mean, he believes yeah. that it's not and, part of his, his shtick. Like and he's, also he's not sleeping for weeks at a time. <laughs> like he's right, off yeah. his rocker. Angie continues. There's no easy or elegant way to say this. So I'll just say it straight. At a certain point in the ritual, the pool began to bubble. It, oh. it bubbled vigorously. In a manner inconsistent with any explanation involving air filters or the like. Uh, you know, she says, okay. well, dear, aren't you clever? It seems to be working. Something's making a move, don't you think? <laughs> but she was terrified. She said she had trouble accepting what her eyes were seeing. At the bottom of the pool was a large shadow or stain which had not been there before the ritual began. And it was in the shape of a beast of the underworld. What? Oh, my gosh. I still don't know what to okay. think about that night. It runs directly to counter to my pragmatism and my everyday faith in the integrity of the normal world, and it confuses me greatly. Even though the pool has been painted over a number of times, the shadow always comes back. Oh, oh no. that's a good one. Oh, that. How did I never hear I this story, story before? The time Satan came to the pool party. <laughs> right, Satan shows up. <laughs> David Boy performs oh an exorcism. Gosh. <laughs> he's a real downer, that Satan. Yeah, he no, he's really he's <laughs> wow. really bringing a brother down. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if that pool is still there. Well, that's something we can look into. We'll have to investigate when we go to L.A. in a little while, Wendy. Yeah, that's right. So that's, that's a good investigation. But so right, so <laughs> station to station, and he's in that area, and he's still married to Angie, and he's got this character, and David Bowie is also while he's creating this character, the Thin White Duke, he's also researching Nazism. Hmm. How does that work? Huh. How do uh, Nazis well, it tie, and it ties into the, the whole, Kabbalah mix? The whole evil thing, though? Like, maybe he's getting curious. Yeah. Yes. Well, no, it, it's interesting. Things. And so this is from an article of uh, six myths about David Bowie. So for the Nazism thing, and this is, comes from his own kind of interview. He says, I mean, while he was recording Station to Station, he starts saying, my interest in the Nazis was the fact that they supposedly came to England before the war to find the Holy Grail at Glastonbury. 
The idea that it was about putting Jews in concentration camps and the complete oppression of different races completely evaded my extraordinarily blanked up nature at that particular time. So he started getting interested in the occult time of, of Nazism. He was even detained at the Eastern European border for transporting Nazi memorabilia. Wow. This is all before he went to in his Berlin phase, too, where he moved to Berlin for several years. Okay. So, so it sounds like he was more interested in them because of their uh, search for occult objects, a yeah, religious I, significance. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. That's where that came from. But the Thin White Duke is also this ultra Aryan character. Blue eye, blonde hair. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so it's like research for his character. That he's creating for Station to Station. And that's just, that's a commitment. You know what I mean? And, and so David Bowie, like he's writing about Aleister Crowley. He's researching in Nazism. He's having exorcisms in the pool of his house. <laughs> And there's an apocryphal story, too, that comes from right around the same time. And somebody was saying that he was going to play in Detroit in 1974. And that there was a report on the Detroit newscast of the night of his concert that aliens had crash landed in Detroit. And so he was, I mean, he was super paranoid at the time, too, that aliens were actually coming to get him. This is right after the Ziggy Stardust character. I mean, he's not sleeping he's doing a ton of drugs and so they're like they said like him and his wife actually went out to try to look for this crashed ufo in detroit in 1974 and but later on it was found out to be a a hoax and so the newscast team was all fired because they they tried to do some kind of pr hoax um but that david boy was he was there and he thought he was convinced that the aliens had crashed because they were looking for him and they were going to capture him. And they really found him. That's what he thought. And he wanted to get him first. Is that why he well, went he, looking for them? Well, I mean, he just, I mean, he thought they crashed and like the report was they crashed and died. So he wanted to see him. Oh, okay. He wanted to know his enemy. Yes. But that story is more apocryphal and like people can't even get the right dates when he paid, played in Detroit. And cause they said he was going to Minneapolis the next night and they're like, well, he wasn't on the tour in 1974. They were taking him from Detroit to Minneapolis. So some so, of the facts don't, don't match up. The facts don't match up. And then the story of like getting people to remember. Like, I tell you what, if a Milwaukee news station, when we were kids, would have said that a UFO had crashed in Milwaukee, I would remember that for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, right. me too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> How would we have gotten there, Mike? We would have wanted to be at the scene. Exactly. You would have pedaled your <laughs> yeah, little bikes over little there. Bikes all <laughs> we would have done anything. We would have been like David and Angie Bowie. We would have been like, get in a, you know, we would tell our parents to get in the car. What do you mean? There's a, U- a the UFO has crashed. <laughs> grab, the, grab the Buick Century and we're going. Um, okay. Funny enough, China Girl, some of the lyrics. Visions of swastikas in my head, plans yeah. for everyone. He even talks about that in China Girl. You know what I mean? So this, this guy gets way too into his stuff. Obviously, he's chasing after a UFO crash. He thinks UFOs are after him. He, he's performing exorcisms. Dave and Bowie. He's really becoming the characters that he defines. Exactly. I mean, and he sounds like a fun guy to party with, too. Um, I don't know. <laughs> might feel go a little too far. <laughs> We'd have to keep Allison right, on the other side because you might. Punch him. You're like. I'd what? like to see that pool though. China girl, play it again. I told, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I dare you. Play it again. Play it again, tough guy. Yeah, tell me to shut my mouth. <sighs> <laughs> Anger management. I'll check into it. Yeah, weird living. The man knew it. Now, we're all coming, like, you know, we, we talked about some of our favorite songs, and his last album that just came out, you know, two weeks ago, less than two, maybe a week and a half ago, Black Star. Oh, no, it came out a little longer than that, but the videos and stuff came out not too long ago. And right. I saw a great, this is before his death, I saw a great article on how Black Star represents Planet X, Nibiru. Oh, Planet X. You're going to have to do a little backstory on that, Mike. Okay. So, yeah. Planet X, so you know how nine planets in the solar system, obviously, before they downgraded Pluto. That's right. <laughs> um, Poor Pluto. 
Planet X is the 10th planet. planet. And not like, okay, so Doctor Who talks about the 10th planet, Mondas. Earth had a twin planet. This is not Doctor Who-ish. Nibiru is this planet that's coming back, and it's the 10th planet in the solar system, and a lot of people believe in it. Who was the guy that used to be on Coast to Coast that always used to talk about Planet X? Allison. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I thought it was a... Zachariah was... Stitchin. Oh, oh, Zachariah. Uh, Zachariah oh, Stitchin, nice. yeah. Well, um, he talked a lot about uh, aliens, right? The Anunnaki, yeah. how they, they um, when the 10th planet was with us millennia ago, how they came here and, and enslaved us, these alien overlords that, that wanted uh, the human race to mine for gold, I think it was. But yeah, and that the idea that that they'll be back again, and that the the orbit of this this planet is is behind the sun or in some location where where we can't detect it. Right, we only en- we only encounter it every thirty six hundred years or something like that. Right, yeah. Uh, um, extreme trans Neptunian objects, Zachariah Stitchin and Planet X is it's just I mean it really that feels like science fiction. Oh yeah, well, well and he. He looked into ancient Mesopotamia, isn't that uh, the origin of the so. Anunnaki? And um, but his his interpretation of the cuneiform, I think it is, has been widely questioned. But uh, you know, his 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 idea was that these ancestors of you know modern uh, culture had been enslaved by the Anunnaki, and that really affected uh, their culture. And if you guys want to know more about the Anunnaki, all you have to do is listen to episode three, our election special from 2014 about the lizards that rule the world. <laughs> Othersidepodcast.com slash three. We go in depth about the Anunnaki on that one. So Black Star is the Illuminati's alert to the public of the coming of Nibiru. If you look at the end of the lyrics, there's the date of when the Dark Star is meant to come. And August 1st, 2016 is the date. Uh-oh, prediction time. <laughs> he claims the title track, released last month, second single, Lazarus. All the tracks on the album contain warnings. Everything on them is David's attempt to alert the public on behalf of the Illuminati of what is going to come forward. Now, the Illuminati are starting to declare what they expect to happen, the destruction of civilization and the reconstitution of their Anunnaki's institutions. Oh, no, the overlords are back. So, but interestingly enough, uh, and now you guys got to watch that Black Star video if you guys haven't seen the stuff and Lazarus and everything. Pretty it's super weird. creepy. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's the, awesome. The, the director, though, Johan Renk, he did an interview with Vice and he goes, well, I'm a huge Crowley fan. Always been. I tried to make a movie on his life a few years ago, but we didn't manage to put it together. I love Crowley for being an audacious man at a certain point in time. I think he's greatly misunderstood. He was a good guy, but he was portrayed as an evil man and he wasn't. That's the director of David Bowie's last video. So even when he's coming to the end, he brings people to him who were connected to the occult, who have, are influenced by the uh, occult. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. So just take a listen to some of that music, and you'll see that this is a guy that was into this stuff from day one, and that's why we love him. Well, and Very much so. in a lot of ways, you know, the Black Star, you know, I think he, he knew that it would be his last album. And I oh, think, yeah. you know, you, you see a lot of, in, in the videos, you see a lot of elements of uh, his career coming back, you know, like uh, Major Tom, for example. There's a, a scene in one of the videos where there's a, a man in a spacesuit or a body in a spacesuit. Oh, the skeleton in the spacesuit, yeah. Yeah, and the, the skeleton is all bejeweled, like, you know, um, and has been done by um, many cultures uh, around around the world in actuality. Um, but it's interesting to, you know, see that bejeweled skull of presumably Major, Major Tom. Major Tom, absolutely. It's not, you know, if you guys ever heard Ashes to Ashes, I mean, that's the sequel to Space Oddity. And I believe a German artist made a sequel to space oddity as well a song major, by major oh tom. yeah there there was a well, there was another major tom song by another artist yeah i, I do recall that we'll you know, have to link to that in the show notes we'll link to it in the show notes you know it's funny there's a great story about you know i don't know if it's adrian blue or not who who particularly told this story but he used to play for 
It's a guitarist who used to play for Frank Zappa. So Adrian Ballou, who you, you were talking about, who you yeah. enjoy, Allison, yeah. so he used to play with Frank Zappa, and he played with King Crimson, he obviously. He played with, with like everybody. He, he had a, a famous guitar sound. Yes, known, and he, known for imitating animals and just like being able to produce some just just some crazy audio, you know, just using his guitar. A very talented experimental musician. Yeah, and so he, you know, he plays with Frank Zappa, and David Bowie sees him. And this is something I read this week when he wrote up uh, his personal, rem- you know, remembrances of David Bowie. That David Bowie sees him and is like, "I want you in my band," and goes and says, "Let's all have dinner together. We'll talk about it later." And Frank Zappa knew that David Bowie was trying to steal Adrian Ballou and wouldn't even talk to David Bowie. <laughs> he just sat, he It's just, like a clash of the rock titans. So and David Bowie was <laughs> trying right. to be David Bowie was trying to be cool about it and be like, "Yeah, so we'd really like to bring Adrian on tour." And Frank Zappa just would sit there at dinner and look at him and he go, "Blank you, Captain Tom." Oh man! <laughs> and that's all Whoa. he said, and he said Ouch. it like five times. Every time David Bowie oh, would try to talk to me, it's like, blank you, Captain Tom. He didn't that's even harsh. call him Major Tom. Like, he demoted him. Right. No, that's the insulting part. And it's just a hilarious thing when you think of Frank Zappa. And Agent Blue says that when they get back in the limo at the end of the night, David Bowie says to him, I think that went pretty well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. it's just classic of, you know, two rock and roll personalities coming up that's against so each cute. other. That's so cute. That's such a great story about them fighting over Adrian Blue. Yeah. I love Adrian Blue. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, let's quickly talk a little bit about some of David Bowie's movies. And when we talk about his oh, connection yeah. to pop culture, you can't oh. forget his first major oh, movie roles in Alien and The Man Who Fell to Earth. Right. And he plays an alien that comes to Earth to try to get our, you know, his dying planet needs our water. And it's kind of a story about how even when aliens come here, they can be corrupted by modern society and and things like that. But interesting, a a very cool movie. They remade it for TV in the late 80s. Wasn't quite as effective without David Bowie as the lead. But it's still a great story. Obviously, we're in love with Labyrinth. But he made a movie called The Hunger in 1983. Oh, was was that about vampires? Yes, it was about. Oh, vampires. Oh, I think I, I think I might have watched that when it came to TV and right. got de- really freaked out. I mean, I I probably didn't see it until I rented it again in high school or something like that. Um, because The Hunger was not a film we were gonna like a, a vampire sex movie. It's not the kind of movie our parents <laughs> were gonna be like, hey, we should go. You know, let's go check this out on Friday. And. <laughs> But well, David, I don't know. Sometimes we just fall into that by accident. That is and, true. And that, that is, it's, it's just so cute to see my, our mom uh, cringe. Oh, oh well, what? And we'll Vampire get to sex? that. Oh, my God. We'll get to that because there's, a, there's another David Bowie movie um, that my mother freaked out about. So, but in The Hunger, it's about, you know, an ancient Egyptian vampire. And David Bowie is like a, uh, like a 19th century strings player that she keeps around as one of her lovers and you know keeps him keeps him alive through the blood. Great movie, but it's based on the book The Hunger written by Whitley Strieber. That's right, Whitley oh. Strieber. So, oh, I mean the man. man and I we always come back to Whitley Strieber every once in a while, the man that gave us communion. Yeah. And basically created the entire alien abduction, the modern alien abduction narrative, I think he he really did. And so David Bowie is in Whitley Strieber's movie. I forgot that was Whitley Strieber. Yeah. Quite freaky. And so a good movie. It's a, it's a fun one to check out if you're interested in like early 80s uh, horror. And you know I am. And it, it, that's an enjoyable film. Religiously, he plays Pontius Pilate in The Last Temptation of Christ. And plays him as kind of a, you know, I mean, Pontius Pilate's always meant to be a cool character because he washes his hands of the situation. He's like, you know what, you Jews handle this. I'm just going to be the Roman governor and I, I wash my hands of this and I take no responsibility for the death of the Messiah. And what an interesting pick for Martin Scorsese to, to pick Pontius Pilate. I mean, first of all, he's got Willem Dafoe, a Wisconsin native, playing Jesus Christ in the movie. Yeah. And, and he's got David Bowie playing Pontius Pilate. And if you remember at the time, the movie was being protested by Catholics because they thought that the way that the, the film portrayed Mary Magdalene 
as the the temptation of you know Jesus being tempted by a human woman and the carnality of Mary Magdalene became a very controversial film from Martin Scorsese, who's a very Catholic filmmaker. And who does he pick to be his Pontius? David Bowie. Yes. Now, he also has like a cameo in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. You guys ever see that one? No, I, I haven't. I haven't yet. Okay. Now, you were Twin, a big Twin Peaks fan, though, Mike. Huge Twin Peaks fan when I was, you know, 13 years old. Loved it. All right. So this is where we get to mom freaking out, not realizing what it's going to be again. So Twin Peaks, the TV <laughs> show, was fairly tame. I mean, some of the subject matter was a little adult, and, but it was soap opera-y, and it was, it was fairly tame and mostly occultish. So David Lynch, who developed the show, after Twin Peaks ends, he makes a movie a couple years later about the events that happened that they're researching in the TV show, that they're investigating the TV show. He makes a movie of those events, that last night of the character's life. Laura Palmer, her murder was what inspired the TV show. Well, Laura Palmer was a very bad teenager. And so <laughs> that's what the movie's about, her last night of being a very bad teenager. And she takes me and my friend Brett, and we Uh-oh. were both, you know, we're both like 15, not even 16, you're both 15. And, and the movie made you men. Well, pretty close. <laughs> no, we, we watched Charles Bronson movies. We went to learn how it to be like a man. But the thing was, is that there's way, there's a ton of sexuality in the movie. And we're sitting there. It's mom, dad, me, and Brett. And I'm sitting between mom and Brett. And during the sexual parts, my mother's like, oh, no. oh my God. And it, I mean, and David Lynch is very, like, he's not known to be a real sexual filmmaker, but he will push buttons and create scenes and, and do things to get the point across. Yeah, he's very and, visceral. And, and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is a very visceral movie. David Bowie plays like a ghost of a FBI agent that shows up in, in, in parts. Like David Bowie just appears and says things that don't make any sense and then leaves. Ooh, that's neat. And that, right. That's <laughs> Always per- con- the conveyor of cryptic messages. Exactly, exactly. And so, like, when you talk about mom sometimes taking us to movies that she did not think would be inappropriate, <laughs> she's sitting there and she goes, oh, God. And I, she puts her hands over her eyes and she looks at dad and goes, oh. I can't believe we took Jones Boy to see this film. <laughs> because <laughs> Brett's so mom's cute. very religious and stuff like they go to church together sometimes so her to say that me and Brett are like slapping five we're like this is awesome <laughs> just uh, anyway David Boy's in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me he's got a very mysterious character uh, a couple years after that he appears in that film uh, Basquiat about the New York artist and David Boy plays Andy Warhol who he wrote a song about on Hunky Dory oh that's perfect casting Yep. Then he becomes the host of a horror anthology show called The Hunger. Really? And I know. Yeah, I know very little about it except t- him and Terrence Stamp were the hosts of it, and it was it only ran for a couple of seasons, and maybe only in the UK. He puts a, out a video game called Omicron: The Nomad Soul, which I bought for the Sega Dreamcast. I bought it too. <laughs> I bought it for the yeah, PC. Yeah, I, I, I had music by David Bowie. I like music, and he plays a character in the video game. Omicron is a massive city-state in which the people are ruled blindly by an ancient supercomputer and an iron-fist communist dictator. Little do the people of Omicron know, however, that a demon lord from the last circle of hell is the true power behind governing their land. The nomad soul, a foretold hero, enters Omicron through his computer and becomes trapped in this parallel dimension. Desperate to escape back to his own world and to help newfound friends fight the dark forces guiding Omicron, the nomad soul does what he must do. To liberate Omicron forever with the help of David Bowie. <laughs> <sighs> and it was totally sweet. I mean, it was a hard game and it wasn't really great playing. Like, Wendy, what did, did you really just listen to the music or did you actually play the game? Pretty much. Honestly, I don't even remember much about the game itself. I just remember like David Bowie showing up. It's like a computerized version of David. And you're like, awesome. <laughs> so cool. Pixel yep. Bowie. <laughs> and, and the last thing I remember him as a... Uh, an actor that I remembered was he was Tesla in The Prestige. Yeah. That- That's probably one of my favorite of these because I love that movie. And 
his portrayal of Nikolai Tesla Tesla was great. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that and his role in the movie. Yeah, I was going to mention mm-hmm. that as well. You know, just just it was, you know, just astounding to when he showed up as Tesla. You know, I, right. I just felt like there was going to be, um, a, you know, a standing ovation <laughs> because really? he was so good in that part. So perfect for that part. And he just has that. that kind of, and then the whole movie with the mystical feel to yeah. it. I, just, you know, I almost, I want to talk too much about it in case people haven't seen right. the movie. Yeah. Because it's still recent enough. It's not like, like we can give spoilers for The Hunger because it was pretty corny in 1983. But I don't want to spoil this movie because it really, it's only, it's not even 10 years old and it's still really good. But we're not spoiling it by saying that. No, but yeah. I'm saying like, I'd like to talk about like the results of his. Yeah, right. we won't give anything yeah. away. No, no, no. We don't need but, to do that. Um, Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale. Hugh Jack, you got Wolverine and Batman and David Bowie. Right. Like, now that is a movie, my friend. And a grudge. A magical <laughs> grudge. And a magical grudge. Yeah, so <laughs> definitely check out The Prestige. But just to think about the, uh, the legacy that David Bowie left us in that we have just pretty much touched the surface of the things we could talk about, about the analysis of his magical lyrics, about his obsession with UFOs, about his connection to the occult. He really gave us a lot to work with. And for that, I got to thank the man. Here, here. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you, David yeah. Bowie. Except for China Girl, punch you in the face. <laughs> oh. No, no. I, you know, I was, I was young then. So I, I, I didn't, didn't quite understand, you know. You, could, the, you couldn't separate the artist from the art. Right. From, from the persona. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in this discussion and uh, the links to a lot of the interesting things that we've talked about will be found on othersidepodcast.com slash 75. This is our 75. Wow. All right, everybody. Wow. And we're also on Twitter at Other Side Talk. And I'd like to say hello to all the new friends that I've met uh, through my personal Twitter account at Sunspot Wendy. And you can always find me at Sunspot Mike. Like if you're friends with Wendy, then you're going to like me too. <laughs> you, be- you better be friends yeah. with Mike too. And that goes, that goes for my <laughs> friends too. I know who you are. Yeah. And, and right. you can find me at, at awesome. Milwaukee Ghost. On Twitter as well. Oh, that's right. That's ghost singular. No, or it's plural. Because if plural, there's only plural. one ghost in Milwaukee, I wouldn't have much to talk okay, about, I now, just, would I? I want to make sure because my headphones are a little Milwaukee here. ghost. I want to make sure that I heard you correctly. All right, and that everybody else so, heard you correctly. No. <laughs> and and guys, please come visit us and don't be afraid to leave a uh, review on iTunes, no matter what you think, or Stitcher or whatever you're listening to. Please leave a review and uh, let us know what you think. At OthersidePodcast.com, you can check it out, and we have uh, updates all the time about paranormal and pop culture. So, speaking of pop culture, we should talk about this week's song. Oh, yes, we should. And we've actually got a special recording from a show we did this weekend, Sunspot being the week. Yes, so Wendy and I play in a band called Sunspot, and uh, this Friday we played at Shank Hall in Milwaukee. And so we decided to play a special tribute to Mr. Bowie because uh, we do love him, and this is one of our favorite songs off Ziggy Stardust. That's right, and a lot of people after the show came up and expressed that they appreciated uh, hearing some Bowie done in our own format, and just hearing some Bowie. So just to give you a little warning, there is some crowd chatter in this because it's, it's a raw live recording from a microphone that was out amidst the crowd. But I think you'll hopefully enjoy our little sunspot tribute to David Bowie. And this is our rendition of the Ziggy Stardust classic, Starman. Stop. 
children lose it. Let the children lose it. Let all the children forget. for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Does this sound like David Bowie to you? <laughs> <laughs>